I want to talk to you this, this, this morning in the time that I have about take heart. In other words, the danger of giving up, the danger of losing heart in life. We started this series, or not series, it's two-part messages. We started it last week, <coughs> and I, we looked at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And I gave you three principles about why we don't lose heart. In other words, what it means to take heart. And so I want to finish that up th- this morning in our, in our time together. Um, and so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, verse 1 through 16. And then, and then while you're clicking to or turning there, let me tell you a story. Actually, it's a true story. It's an article that I clipped out of the, of the I think, USA Today a few weeks back about the New York City Transit Authority of, of a while back. Uh, they went, a bus and a bus driver went missing. They lost an entire bus, a metro bus, and the driver. Fact is, the, the driver and the bus was found 10 days later. You know where they found the driver and the bus? Miami, Florida. They located him there, and they had a conversation with them, and they said, what, what the heck happened? And he says, you know what? I just got to the place in life. I got tired. I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I got tired of the weather. I got tired of the snow. I got tired of cranky passengers. I got tired of my supervisor. I got tired of the routes. I got tired of the traffic. And you know what? I came to that place, and I wondered what would happen if I just started driving. So one day after the last passenger got off, I decided, you know what? I've had it. I'm just going to start driving. And he said he drove all the way to Miami, Florida, where 10 days, he said, I enjoyed the sun and the surf until they found me. You know, we live in a time of burnout, cop-out, and drop-out, right? We live in a time where a lot of people are giving up. And the reason that we laugh at that story and the reason that we smile at that story is because many of us have had similar thoughts from time to time, if we're honest. We've come to that place where we say, you know what, I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired of of dealing with this marriage. I'm tired of my family. I'm tired of my friends. I'm, I'm tired of my job. I'm tired of the economy. What would happen if I just got in my car and I just, I just started driving? Today we're looking at this issue of just just take heart because we have all kinds of problems in life now with people getting burnt out or or dropping out. We look at our school system and we find that we have all kinds of problems with school dropouts, right? Even though we have incentives for young people to stay in school, it seems like for whatever reason they come to the place, they just give up, they, they just quit. The drug and alcohol problem that we face in our community many times is because people are just a form of dropping out. People say, you know what, I I can't cope with the stress, I can't cope with the issues, and so I just need to find some means of escape. I just need to find some means of of relief of the stress or this pressure. Jesus told this this, this parable, this story, about that that Christians would would drop out of the Christian life. He talked about this, this story about the sower who planted a bunch of seed, and he talked about he threw some seed on on what is called shallow ground. And then it immediately grew, and it was impressive. But then all of a sudden, the sun began to like beat down on it. And since the, the plant lacked deep enough root system, it withered up, and it died. And Jesus says, guess what? There's going to be Christians like that, that they would begin the Christian life, and they're going to look impressive for a while. But when the glamour wears off and when the heat of suffering comes, they're going to disappear. And Jesus says some of the other seed fell on, on a thorny ground. It was a bad ground. And it began to grow up, and immediately as it began to grow up, the weeds and the thorns and the thistles grew up around it and choked it out and died. And Jesus says, guess what? There's going to be some Christians like that. 
that all of a sudden their focus is going to move from the spiritual world to the physical world, and they're going to look at the, the pleasures of this life and the, the de- desires of this life, and as a result of that, they're, 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 going to, they're going to drop out of the church. And then he said there's some, some seed that fell on some, some good soil, some good ground. And he said it, 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 would, it would take root, and it would begin to grow, and it would have staying power. And eventually, that group of people, eventually they would produce a harvest 30 and 60 and 100-fold. And I don't know if you're like me, but I, I desire to be that good soil Christian. I desire to see the 30 and the 60 and the 100-fold, the harvest. And that's why, that's why Paul said in, in, in Galatians 6, 9, he, he said these words. He said, and let us not grow weary of, of doing good. For in due season we will reap <coughs> if, conditional, if we don't give up. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 Paul starts off this group of scriptures with, with, we do not lose heart. And then again in verse 16, he ends it with, we do not lose heart. And before, between verse 1 and verse 16, there's six principles about why we don't lose heart, why we, we take heart, why we don't give up. And so last week I gave you three. And so this week I'd like to give you three more as we close out this section of scripture. So the first thing is this, is Paul... <coughs> Paul came to the place where he didn't lose heart because he developed a resiliency. Paul came to the place in life to where he developed a resilient spirit. In other words, he had resiliency. With Paul, when you look at his life, Paul could get knocked down and he bounced back up. Paul could get struck down and he kept going. Paul was this type of guy, regardless of the season, regardless of the situation, that Paul kept going regardless. That's why verse 8, he says, We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed, that's an important word, but not driven to despair. So when you look at Paul's life, you realize Paul understood stress. Paul had a lot of stress. I mean, he had, he had financial stress. He understood money, money problems. He understood what it, was, what it meant to be under some financial stress. He had, he had stress with travel schedules and travel arrangements. Had some health challenges. He had some stress with his health. He had some stress with people that had, had betrayed that had betrayed him, had talked about him, had criticized him. And yet, when you look at Paul's life, you realize that Paul didn't let the, the pressures of this life grind him down to where he just gave up. See, Paul was honest about what he was facing. Paul made the statement. He says, we were perplexed. In the Greek, perplexed simply means this. We don't understand the circumstances. We don't understand why they're happening. You ever been through a season in your life? You ever been through a a situation in your life? You ever been through a circumstance in your life where you would say, you know what? God, I don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening to me. I don't understand why they betrayed me. I don't understand why they said that. I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand why I'm going through this pain. I don't understand why I'm going through this health challenge. I don't understand why I'm going through this issue with this person, this situation. And Paul was this type of, Paul said, God, I don't understand why. But the one thing that he did understand was this. But he says, I understand that you still love me. I understand you're still with me. In other words, this issue of being driven to despair means to be driven to the place where you have no hope. And Paul was saying, you know what? I may not understand the circumstances in life, and I may not understand what I'm walking through, but I have not been driven to the place where I have no hope. I have hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I know that he he loves me. I know that he cares about me. Paul had been neglected, and Paul had been abandoned, abandoned by his friends, and yet Paul was still confident that, guess what? God has not neglected me, and God has not abandoned me. Abandoning 
him. Paul understood that, guess what? God, God loves me, and he loves me deeply. His friends may have abandoned him, but Paul says, I know God hasn't. Um, here, here a while back, I was, I was at a pastor's meeting. In fact, it was last, last August in Chicago, and we're part of the Willow Creek family, and every year we host the Global Leadership Summit, which is coming here in August uh, 9 and 10. And so as part of doing that, I have to go to some senior pastor meetings. And by going to these meetings, I have become really close friends with a pastor friend of mine in, in Texas. And so we were there together in, in Chicago, and we finished up our meetings. And, and uh, well, let me tell you a little bit about Griff. Uh, Griff is, is in his mid-60s, and uh, two years ago, he lost his wife to cancer. After a two-year battle of cancer, um, his, wife, his, his wife passed away as a result of cancer. And so um, we finished up our meetings, and, and so I says, Griff, you know, why don't, why don't we just, why don't we just go, go to lunch and let's, or go to dinner and let's just hang out. And so we walked. We found a really neat Italian restaurant there in Chicago, and actually Griff and I closed that place down, and, I mean, we just stayed and we talked all evening. And so Griff started talking about his journey because here, here's what I've learned about people that are going through suffering. They just need someone willing to step in the circle with them, step in the parade with them, if you will. They don't need people on the sidelines cheering them on as they march by. You know what they need? They need someone willing to step in the parade with them. And I've learned with this issue of suffering, sometimes the most important question we can ask someone is, how are you doing? And so I looked at Griff and I said, Griff, let me ask you, how are you doing? And for 30 minutes, I didn't say a word. He just talked. He didn't need anyone to give him any theological uh, advice and, and didn't need anyone to give him scripture. He just needed someone to, to listen to him. And so for 30 minutes, I listened to him talk. And he used some of the words that Paul used. He says, I'm perplexed. I don't understand why. My wife was served alongside of me in ministry all these years. She sacrificed with me. She did without with me. We served side by side, and now that I'm at this age, and I've got more margin in my life than I've ever had, and I get to travel more, and I get to do more things, and God has blessed this church, and, and she's not here with me. I don't understand. I don't understand. And then he said something I'll never forget. He looked across the table at me and looked right in my eyes, and he says, but Charlie, I'm going to tell you this. I'm lonely, but not alone. He said, I'm lonely, but I am not alone. I know God is with me. I know that even though I don't understand why these events took place and why these circumstances, but I'm telling you what, I know God has a purpose, and he is with me. That's what, that's what Paul said, verse 9. He said, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. That's what Griff is saying. That's what Paul, I, I'm hurting, but I am not destroyed. Remember in Acts chapter 14, just a little bit of New Testament history. Remember Acts chapter 14 when Paul was, when, when Paul was stoned in Lystra? And that's, by, that's with rocks, by the way. Uh, <laughs> just always have to say that in Colorado. I don't want some new visitor coming in and say, cool. <laughs> so Paul is stoned in, in Lystra. And he's taken outside the city and he's left for dead. And then the disciples gathered around him, and they're waiting for him to stand back up. And all of a sudden, Paul stands back up, 
You know what? I think, I'm just telling you, I think if that was me, I would have stood back up and I would have said some things like, Men, while I was on the ground, the Lord spoke to me. I'm retiring. God called me to a different ministry. God called me back into the professional world. God called me to, like, move. Not Paul. You know what Paul did? Paul got up and said, Men, tomorrow we're going to Derby. And I'm going to go to Derby and I'm, I'm going to preach. And here's the amazing thing. A lar- what the Bible says, a large number of disciples accepted Christ. In other words, that's a resilient spirit, right? That is someone that just keeps going. And Dale Carnegie, for many years, told this story over and over and over. That He said there was a time when you study tire manufacturers. There was a time when the original tire manufacturers tried to develop a tire that would resist the shocks or the bumps or the potholes in the, ro- in the road. And as a result of that, they created a very hard tire that became di- brittle and that when it hit a bump in the road, it would, it would crack or it would break. And as a result of that, they developed a different style tire that would absorb the shocks, the potholes in the road. And because of that, and because of the resiliency of that tire, we're still using that tire today. And listen, let me tell you something. Every Christian is going to hit bumps in the road. Every Christian is going to hit potholes. Every Christian is going to hit some things in the road that they don't understand why. Jesus is the one that says, I take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. You will have tribulation. You will have hurt. You will have pain in this world. In other words, every life, every Christian has setbacks. Isn't it interesting? You can go through life for a while and that, like there's no setbacks. It's just like smooth sailing. And then all of a sudden something happens, either, either though it's, it's a challenge with your, illness, with your health or if, it's a, or if it's an illness of a, of a loved one or, or it's a relational problem or it's a financial problem. Um, you, you, you can be in a deep relationship with someone and they can disappoint you. They can hurt you. They can betray you or death can take them away from you. And here's what I've learned. The difference is, is how do you and I react when we hit bumps in the road? How do you and I react when we hit those potholes of life? Because here's, here's, here's what I'm learning in this stage of life. You have a choice. You could either be resentful or you can be resilient. It's your choice. You can either be resentful or you can be resilient. Here's what I've learned. Resentful people, they're brittle. And they quit. And they bail. And they give up. People with staying power have a resiliency. People with staying power, resilient people, when, when, they get, when they get knocked down, they get back up. Here's, it's just so fascinating to me as a pastor. that I can watch this. You, you can have two people in the same situation. And why is it one comes out better and another one comes out bitter? Because of this issue of resentfulness and resiliency. Man, if you're a resentful person and you carry grudges and hurt from the past, you'll never make it. You'll quit. Verse 10, he says, always carrying in this body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. In other words, we carry around this this body, this vessel. And the treasure is not the outward, it's the inward. It's what's in us. It's Christ. And so we carry around this, this vessel So people can see our hurts, and they can see our pains, they can see our scars. And as a result of that, the life of Jesus is revealed through us. That's why Paul was so honest and says, I am perplexed. I don't understand why this is happening. But here's what I know. Christ loves me. God is still with me. God has not abandoned me. I mean, Paul was this guy that would would come to the place, and, and Paul... 
Paul did in, in life, Paul did more in life than just endure problems. He employed them. In other words, Paul, when you study his life, he used his potholes of life, his, his bumps in the road, his hurts, his pains. He used them to promote the purposes of God. When, and, and when God was honored, people listened. When Paul goes to, to Derby in Acts chapter 14, I believe you know what happened? People could see his bruises. People could hear, 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 see his scars. People understood that he was beaten and stoned for the cause of Christ. And yet this man is standing up and saying, I don't understand the circumstances, but I know Christ. And because of that, he has not left me. He has not abandoned me. And all of a sudden, guess what? It's real. And people say, you know what? If Christ can do that for him, maybe Christ can do that for me. I need that in my life. Acts chapter 16, when, when Paul was thrown in jail, Paul turns the jail into a worship service. And as a result of that, the jailer met Christ. And when, when Paul was dragged into a, to a, a courtroom, he turned the courtroom into a, into a church service. When, 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 when Paul was put in solitary confinement in prison, Paul would take that solitary confinement, that prison cell, and he turned it into an author's workshop. And when he came out, he came out with the New Testament letters in hand. I mean, when you look at this of Paul's life, he had a resilient spirit. When he was knocked down, he got back up. Listen, let me tell you something. Here's, just, here's, just a, here's a key point. Man, please grab this. Every disappointment in your life is a door to deeper intimacy with God and deeper ministry for God. Every hurt, every pain, every disappointment is a chance to open a door for deeper intimacy with God, to press in and realize God does love me. God isn't going to leave me. God does minister to me during this time. And it gives you a platform to deeper ministry for him. When you look at Paul's life, every interruption for Paul wasn't an interruption. It was an opportunity. Every frustration was, for Paul was a, was a motivation. I mean, he had this resiliency of spirit. Then he says, you know what? I'm not going to quit no matter what happens to me. I, I am going to be one of those 30, 60, or 100-fold Christians. You have to admire people like that, right? You have to admire those people that you look in their life and say, you know what? I can't believe they keep going. I can't, with what's happening to them, how do they still have joy? How do they continue to go? You have to admire people like that. There's a, there's a famous story. It's, it happened in 1852 of a California vineyard. And it, had, it was being devastated because of, because of a drought. In fact, is many vineyards in the area were being devastated because of the drought. And many were going bankrupt. And many of the families were losing everything they had. And all the great grapes had just shriveled up and, 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 and on the vine. But, but all of a sudden, this one vineyard owner told his workers, says, even though the grapes have like shriveled up on the vine, pick them anyway. They picked them. They took them down to the market and they sold them as a Peruvian delicacy. And we've been eating raisins ever since. <laughs> you got to admire someone like that. We all, whether it's in business, whether it's in our family, whether it's with our, with our ministry, we all need that kind of resiliency, that kind of attitude, that kind of perspective, that every life, listen... Every life is going to have problems. Every life is going to have tribulation. And everybody is going to get knocked down from time to time. And, but we've got to get back up and make the most of it. J. Wallace Hamilton said this, Every man's life is a story, 
where you mean to write one story and you're forced to write another story. How many of us in our life could say, you know what, I sat on life to write a story. And God did something in my life, whether it was in high school, whether it was in college, was during my professional life. God did something and he redirected my life and now I'm writing a totally different story. Edison, instead of Edison, then he started out selling newspapers for, a, for a, a railroad line, a railroad company. And he got fired because he spilled battery acid in the, bu- in the baggage car and it started a, it, it, started a, it started a fire. And an ac- that accident turned him to focus on scientific research. Instead of John Wesley, some of you know John Wesley's names, others of you may not. John Wesley was a famous missionary. He came to Georgia to try to reach, evangelize the Indians, and he failed miserably. He goes back to England. That hurt and that pain pressed him deeper into God. He started a revival in England, and out of that was birthed the Methodist Church. Christians should be the people that look for something positive, even out of defeat. No matter if it's sickness, no matter if it's criticism, no matter if it's betrayal, no matter if it's suffering, no matter if it's heartbreak. In other words, we should come to the place and make it pay a profit. Use it, in other words, as a platform to honor God. That's why Paul said, verse 9, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. And the secret is in that three little, three little letter word, but... A lot of times in the English language, we use the word but in a very negative way to, to, to qualify some good things. Like it's a sunny day, but we need rain. The church is growing, but I wonder if it'll last. I wonder if it's for real. He is a good person, but I wonder if I can trust him. It's interesting when you press into the writings in the New Testament, the New Testament authors, and you see how they use this word differently. They use the word but in a very positive way. The church was persecuted. But those who were scattered went and preached the word wherever they went. And because of that, the gospel spread. Peter was in prison. But the church learned how to pray. And they prayed for for Simon Peter. And as a result of that, he was taken care of. We're we're hard-pressed. And we're struck down. But we are not destroyed. We are not in despair. I think we could use some of that resilient spirit today, don't you? When people are talking about how dark this world is, how horrible this world is, how dark and evil the political system is and our politicians are, that someone would just stand up and say, but he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That we should have that same resilient spirit and not get caught up in this like everybody else. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. The second thing, if you're going to take heart, and if you're going to be like the Apostle Paul, is he, he responded unselfishly. He responded unselfishly. He didn't lose heart because he was so convinced he was helping others. Verse 12, he says, so death is at work in us, but life in you. In other words, he endured for the benefit of others. And isn't it interesting, and we know this as parents, right, that sometimes we'll do things out of love that, that we, for others that we wouldn't do for ourselves? We'll sacrifice for our family. We'll sacrifice for our children. We'll do things for them that maybe we wouldn't do for ourselves. And and it's like this unselfish love that parents have for children. And and Paul felt this unselfish love for for people. He said, you know what? Death may be at work in me, but guess what? Life is at work in you. I may have to put up with this hurt and this pain and these circumstances and this illness and these struggles. 
But life is at work in you. And that makes it worth it. See, Paul was so concerned about his message getting out and and others needing it that he wouldn't quit. In other words, I've said, someone is waiting on the other side of your obedience. Verse 13, he goes on and he says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believe, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Paul was certain of this truth. He was certain of this message that he just wouldn't give up, that he just wouldn't quit. That if people would just put their faith in Christ, when Paul was preaching, if they just put their faith in Christ, then they will be raised the same as Jesus will be raised. And he, he would not quit with op- no matter how much opposition came. And Paul felt this kind of desperation for people just to meet Jesus, that, that they could be freed from like the disaster of sin, that, 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 that he would forgive them and give them new life. I mean, in verse 15, he goes on and he says, For it is all for your sake, so that grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Man, this same passion and concern for others should, should drive us to never quit. A school teacher may get so frustrated with students and parents and the challenge of teaching and and some of the struggles that they may come to the point where they want to quit but then they remember their students and they're so concerned about their students they're so concerned about the ones they're helping they say I I can't quit a wife may say you know what I've I've had it with my husband I've had it with the neglect and I'm just I'm just going to quit And then she remembers her family. She remembers her commitment to the Lord. She remembers her children. And she gets back in there. A physician or a nurse may just get sick and tired of demanding patience and insurance and hours and and demands and shortages. They say, I'm just going to quit. Then they remember their vows. They remember the people that are depending on them for health care. A policeman may say, I've had it. I'm tired of the abuse. I'm tired of the ridicule. I'm tired of the lack of respect. I'm tired of the danger. I'm tired of the threats. I'm just going to quit. And then they all of a sudden remember the needs of a community and a community that needs to be protected. Christian businessmen may get so discouraged because people are using unethical business practices to get ahead. It seems like whatever they do, they don't get ahead. He said, that's it. I'm going to quit. And then he or she remembers, God's given me a platform in my testimony. Paul knew what it was like to have people waiting on the other side of his obedience. A ministry partner, a ministry leader say, you know what, I'm just, I'm tired. I'm just going to quit. And then they remember the people that need them to minister to them. As a result, we cannot quit. The third and the last thing, if you're going to take heart, you have to focus on eternity. His focus was on eternity. 2 Corinthians 4.16, he goes on and says, So we do not lose heart, though our outward self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. Outwardly, we're... We don't like to talk about it much in church, right? Especially the older you get. Outwardly, we're wasting away. 
Our bodies are like wasting away. I'm reminded of this when I play sports. I'm reminded of this when I wake up sore and I don't even know why. Right. You're my age, you get that. You know, used to when I was younger, I'd wake up sore and I knew what it was. Oh, it was basketball last night or it's softball or it was golf. And now I wake up sore and I didn't do nothing. I hate that. Reflexes slow down, memory fades. I'm noticing this. People used to say it's good to see you, and now they say you haven't aged a bit. Don't even know what to do with that. One, one, one representative of a, of a, of a, of a nonprofit that, that, that helps the handicap says basically there's three types of people. There are those who are born with a handicap. There are those who developed a handicap through injury or suffering. And then those who are temporarily living in a healthy body. If you're, if you're living in a healthy body, please remember, we're all temporary. We're all wasting away. Listen, let me just tell you, if your life is focused, if your focus in life is on this world, then the older you get, the more discouraged you will become. Because no matter what they tell you, no matter how well you eat, how much you exercise, you still get older. And you sense life is slipping by and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Here a while back, I was invited by a group of men in our community and they wanted to play golf with me and, and, and they're what you'd consider elderly, uh, which means older than me. Uh, <laughs> and the average age was probably the low 70s in the group and so I, I met them at a golf course and to play golf with them because they want to have spiritual conversations. And they said, we've made a lot of money in our life, and we've done a lot of great things, but we're looking back on our life, and we're really wondering, what, did we do anything of any meaning? What was the purpose of life? Have we wasted our life? And then amongst the men, as we were playing golf, I could hear a conversation going on. So we made the turn. We go to the back nine, and we were waiting on a tee box. There's a group ahead of us. And so they said, hey, pastor, we got this question. And it's really frustrating us that we're noticing that some of our friends that are our age, been married 30 and 40 years, for some odd reason are like divorcing their wives and they're marrying a woman half their age. We, we don't want to end up like that. So why is that? Do you have an answer for that? And so I know it's, it's a dangerous thing to do, but as a pastor, I just looked at them and said, hey, before I answer that question, there's, there's some answers in the Bible. Why don't, why don't you tell me why you think that is? They got real quiet, and this man, close to 80, quiet voice, all of a sudden the back of the group says, Man, I think I've got it. They're divorcing their wives, marrying a younger woman, because they just want someone that can drive them around at night. <laughs> the older you get, the funnier and realistic that is. Out of desperation, people just quit. And they may not quit on life, but they'll quit their jobs and they'll quit their marriages and they'll quit, they'll quit making sense. And they'll hang on to some fantasy of youth, trying to get that any way they can. And Paul said, let's be honest. We're wasting away. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed. And we don't quit because, listen, our focus is not on this body. Our focus is not on this life. Instead of developing our body, develop our spirit. Develop our soul. That's smart because one day this body is going to die. 
And our spirit inside will live forever and we don't lose heart. Because we develop, we develop our spirit. Paul said in verse 17, he says, For this life, light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, we have this false belief that we believe the real world is the things that we can see. The Bible says that's not the real world. That's the unreal world. The real world are the things we can't see. The real world is eternal life. In other words, the world we can see, one day all these buildings are going away. All these, our accomplishments are going away. And only thing that's going to last is what we've done for Christ. Only thing that's going to last is our, is, our, is our spirit. And because of that, we focus not on what is seen. We focus on what is not seen. We focus on eternal life. We focus on living for Christ. So we, so we don't lose heart. Because we have fixed our eyes on what is unseen. In July the, July the 4th in 1952, a lady by the name of Florence Chadwick. And Florence Chadwick attempted to swim 21 miles from Calif- uh, Catalina Island to the California coast. No woman had ever accomplished this before. Millions watched by television. Her mother and her trainer were by her side in a rowboat, giving her encouragement, shouting out instructions. There was also another boat alongside of her with a bunch of men in it with rifles that would shoot the sharks when they came near her. Fifteen hours and 55 minutes later, fog settled in on the, over the water. And after much begging, Florence Chadwick quit. A half of a mile from shore. In the interview, she says, I did not quit because it was cold, although it was. I did not quit because I was tired, although I was. I quit because I just couldn't see the shore any longer. Three months later, Florence Chadwick comes back. On a clear day. And she tried it again. This time she swam it in two hours less than any man had ever done it. The reason? She could see the shore. She could see the goal. That's why we do not give up. Our focus is not on this world. Not on the potholes, the bumps in the road. Our focus is on the scene. Eternal life. Knowing that he loves us and he'll never leave us. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?